postcast. We've made it four episodes in a row. Gentlemen, this is an entire month of doing the Cincy Postcast. Uh, we have an awesome show. I'm actually really excited about this. Uh, for one, we get to break down our first win ever as a podcast. Oh my gosh, so much fun. Uh, that is part one. Part two, we've got Alex Steck. Uh, she is all things digital content with FC Cincinnati. She was fantastic. Fantastic. We talked to her about her background, how she got into this, and how this uh, this current team is a lot more fun to be around uh, than, than previous administrations. And then we'll we'll mix it up in part three. And I'll I'll probably remember to ask Jonah for a uh, KLR minute this time. So we'll drop one of those in there, and we'll we'll do a random grab bag of topics. And uh, I'm so happy to be able to say this. As always, I am joined by two fantastic contributors of the post uh we've got with us here tonight the chief warpig himself chief how are you doing it's a winner's it's a winner's podcast i i don't even know what to do with my hands this is exciting i just it's happy to be here no one can see your hands it's a podcast it's fine (laughs) (laughs) you can do whatever you want with them oh man but keep it clean and that was the wonderful voice of grayson chalmers grayson how does it feel to be on a podcast where we talk about a win that feels good what feels better is that uh i'm looking pretty smart about my Prediction that Brandon Vasquez will be the minutes leader for uh, all strikers for FC Cincinnati. <laughs> I, Take a victory lap. I don't even give a shit. This is awesome. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> Brenner's uh, immigration status aside, that feels like at least a strong prediction for the uh, the first half. of. How do you say Wally Pip in Portuguese? Uh, Wally Pip was a pretty good player. A lot of people don't don't remember. Um of course they don't. He's been dead for like a hundred years. He was a solid player in his day. Those of us, those of us in the podcast audience who remember the 1920s Yankees will know. <laughs> All none of you. Um, what I really love about our uh, our rundowns for the uh, for the podcast, they're, they're not terribly in depth, but we never had a segment uh, for who gets credit. For this, we've always just wrote who gets the blame uh, for a game. And I really liked that we actually had to go in and edit uh, that line in there. But uh, Chief, quick take, hot take. FC Cincinnati finally gets a win, snaps a historic losing streak. How do you feel? The quick take, hot take is it's like what we talked about with Pat Brennan last week. And that's that in order for this project to be what we want it to be with Pat Noonan and Chris Albright, at some point, there had to be results on the field that lets people buy into what we're doing. It's all well and good to have a new attitude and and to be more transparent and to be an MLS veteran that understands this league, but that's all bullshit if the results stay the same. And this was a game that, in previous years, this is a game that FC Cincinnati would have lost. Um, things would have come unraveled after that goal got scored, but... In this game, they sort of pulled it together. The back line shored up in the second half. And the the hot take from this is, is yes. <laughs> Fuck yes. This is a win. This is validation for anything Noonan is saying in the training ground. This is validation for the lineup selection. This is something where he can put it in his back pocket. And now when he tells him to do something, it's, hey, I'm not just telling you this for my health. I'm not just telling you this for for no good reason, you get results when you do things the way I want you to do it. 
I'm assuming that's the way he wanted to do it, and they weren't just freelancing in the second half, obviously. But but it's important to see results when you're making changes. And what we've seen is it was a dumpster fire in week one. It looked better week two. And in week three, if even if it didn't look as good in terms of dominating play, possession as it was against D.C. United, they did the important thing and they got the result. They got three points. They scored the come-from-behind goal or, or the – the tie-breaking goal in the second half and won, and this is what you need to build on. You need results to build on, and fuck yeah, we got a result. That's I'm I'm fired up. I'm I can't even think of a cynical take on this. I'm just happy about this. This feels good. Absolutely, uh, Grayson, are you bought in? I am. I am bought in. I'll tell you how bought in I am. Um, the popular take that I'm seeing around is that it was a bad game that they stole. And I'm going to say it's it wasn't that bad of a game. I mean, you got to take a few things into consideration, right? You're on the road to a team that everybody is expecting to go to the playoffs. You're starting your, what, fourth, fifth best option at left back. You're, you're missing your probably second best center back. You're missing your DP striker. Um, the, the XG and the G plus that I saw – a lot closer than you think it was. And yeah, like Ian Murphy got worked, but maybe part of the plan was if we're going to have a weak spot, we have three center backs. We can put the weak spot out on the left and just deal with it. And the center backs did a great job of uh, preventing, you know, serious chances. Um, I bet going into the game, I don't know what was in his mind, but if he thought that, Orlando's attack was going to ma- be mainly uh, trying to cross the ball into Pato when he's standing in between uh, four guys who are all over six foot. Uh, he'd probably be pretty happy with that. And, you know, so like Murphy didn't jump, you know, guys get out of position and, and didn't do as well in the headers as you would like. But um, I don't know. I, I think, I think they went into it with a pretty good game plan. Noonan adjusted at halftime when he needed to. Brandon Vasquez himself could have got four goals. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Also, low-key, low-key Pato, cutest animal at the Cincinnati Zoo. Um, <laughs> but above and beyond that, how much do you love the fact that you talked about Ian Murphy? Yeah, he got worked. He looked like he looked terrible, like he'd never actually seen a soccer field before in his life. But how nice was it that Noonan subbed him off at the half rather than let him sit there and struggle? He looked at the field and saw we are clearly getting exposed in this position, and he didn't stubbornly sit there and think, "No, I have, I have deployed this tactic for a reason, and this will work. Give it time." No, he was flexible. He used the substitution and made the team better at half when the kid was clearly overmatched and doing something he wasn't capable of doing. And you know, good on Ian for going out there and giving it the old college try at a position that he clearly isn't good at. But when the coach saw this wasn't working, he wasn't too stubborn to fix it. And he fixed it, and the back line looked immediately better after, this, after the half with him coming off the field. They didn't just, he didn't just sub Murphy. He changed the formation. Yes. And in, to that point, he didn't just change the formation. I mean, going into this season, all anybody could talk about, myself included, was the 4-4-2 diamond. They're going to run the diamond from Philly. They're going to run the diamond from Philly. Well, this game started off with a back five, a three-man midfield, two strikers up top. 
and they flex into a four three three again, going from one formation to the other that wasn't maybe plan a, a maybe a four two and, three one, but yeah, sure, sure, sure. But not not a four four two diamond for sure. No, no, and. It's nice to see that flexibility twice that like this was already the backup plan and the backup plan wasn't working. And so they went to plan C and plan C worked. They got the win. Like we have not seen that level of tinkering in a match from a a manager ever from FC Cincinnati. So uh, just fantastic to see that. But that's also like when you come back to this idea of he is a MLS guy, it is an MLS coaching staff, and if there is one thing that we, we've said it on here, it's been said out there in, in, the, in the internet before, is that in this league you have to be flexible. You have to use and, and have systems that work to the parts that are at your disposal. And Noonan looked at what he had around him. He looked what was available, and he looked at what was going on in this match, and he redeployed his his assets in a way that that changed the course of the game and allowed the team to be in position to win against a team that, on paper, should be the better team, should be the team that we would expect to win this game. And it was so refreshing to see not only that change, but also the players respond to it, that they made a formation change, they made a lineup change, and it produced instant results. And, and it's so positive. I, I can't overstate enough how this is the same crop of players that went through all the bullshit last year that saw a historic losing streak, the longest losing streak in MLS history, and the energy and the vibe around this team had to change. Losing losing is a poison to culture. Losing, it, it seeps into the walls. And to see this team go out, get a result, get a result in the manner where they, which they did, where it wasn't just a fluke goal and then uh, turtle up and park the bus. There were multiple additional scoring opportunities where Vasquez was feeling so confident. He was looking like hot sauce from the N1 mixtape tour on a couple of those moves. We, he, faked a man, he faked a man out of his shin guards and still almost scored another goal. I mean, that's the sort of thing that... Vasquez yeah. got yeah. a nutmeg. He, nut, he nutmegged a guy. Like, the only thing that was missing was the big dude with the microphone screaming, my God, my God, like it was on the mixtape tour, yelling out the professor's name. And Vasquez scoring another goal. That's what that looked like. That's confidence. That's a good thing. And that's something we haven't seen from this squad probably since the USL days. Like, that level of confidence. Yeah. Especially, too, uh, I felt confident at the end of the game when a number of like-for-like subs came in. Uh, Barrial for Lucho. Uh, Madunyanen for Moreno, I think it was, or Kubo. Um, and you start to see... Like you could see the vision of like, oh, right. The guys who were starters last year are solid depth pieces and guys were able to see out results. And yeah, I mean, I was nervous because I wanted to see the win, but I wasn't, I wasn't watching it thinking, oh God, here comes the C team. They're going to screw this up. And nobody had a dramatically terrible out of the last 20 minutes of the game, from what I can remember, I, I was very, very happy no. to see how that that closed out. It, they were they were as close to winning three to one as they were to conceding a goal and, and giving up the tie. And that's that's a different thing around here. Yeah. That's a different thing that you have. You just don't see that from FC Cincinnati. Yeah. And Grayson, I know you in particular are hip to the. Uh, the new stats out there. Alec Khan had been the uh, the poster child for advanced goalkeeping metrics. How great was it to see a goalkeeper look competent, look confident back there, and uh, keep this 
keep this team in the game. Yeah, he very close to erased his uh, uh, negative margin on a post-shot expected goals minus goals allowed. He's still a little bit in the negative, but that Austin game is, I feel, I hope, going to prove to be a huge outlier. Um, I mean, he, he definitely had a good game. He looked good against D.C. as well. Um, I don't think he's as bad as he was in Austin. I am very hopeful that he's as good as promised. Um, I, uh, you know, Teton and Vermeer have both had, you know, individual good games. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't run a victory lap around Alec can yet, but, um, CC Matt Doyle on that. I one, do, yeah. I do, I do think he's, he's <laughs> definitely, I mean, if he, I'll just say, and I'll, and I'll stop there. If, if you can't, if you can't sell short on him, uh, for for the Austin performance, you can't really say he's proved to be the best signing in the offseason based off of the next two games. Uh, but I'd say, but I will, I will hodl, I will hodl. <laughs> what what I will say about it though is that if you have to pick a direction to go, I'd much rather go from looking like dog shit in week one to becoming competent versus having a great game in week one and that being the high watermark for the year. Oh, 2021. I'll give the guy <laughs> Yeah, I'll give the guy that it was his first time being the man as a goalkeeper. This is your first start when everyone's looking at you, you're the guy. It's like I got something to prove now. I'll give him having nerves and making a couple of bad plays on the road in week one. I want to see the trajectory going in the right direction. And he looked great. Yeah. Uh it was I, I think it was on KLR where they were saying when he does make a save the ball is rarely put into a dangerous position. He tips a lot of shots over the bar. He's good at commanding the box. And it's I want to see that that improvement in that trajectory that makes me think that, yeah, he is going to settle into being a at least league average keeper. And that's what I'm seeing out of him right Our now. Our guest made that observation on Twitter with video evidence. Uh, <laughs> she made the point to to tweet out a video of him making some saves and pointing out that when he when he does uh have to punch the ball or hit the ball away, he hits it out of danger. Hey, even state-run media can make good points. I'm okay with that. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's hard to look at this game, see the result, see Vasquez and Baji just bash brothers it, ended up on there, and uh, and not wonder about Brenner. Brenner fitting in on this. Are you guys, on one hand... Keeps adjusting in his seat. <laughs> his, his pants are getting a little tight thinking about what, what he can talk, what he can say here. I mean, I'll, I'll, oh, I'm, I may have some thoughts. I'll, th I may I'll have throw some thoughts this to you space. first, Chief, but let me frame it like this. This team spent a lot of money on this guy, and he's still very young, and we've only seen him for a handful of minutes this year. What If you were Pat Noonan, what would you be doing with Brenner against Miami? Assuming he's healthy. Let's assume he's healthy. What would you be doing? The answer would be he would be placed firmly on the bench. Hmm. There's a concept that more people need to be familiar with in life. It's called the sunk cost fallacy. And I don't care what Brenner is making. I don't care that they spent $10 million to bring him over here or $15 million or whatever the hell it was. I don't care that he was a record transfer. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is what have you done on the field? And I've said it before, his skill set is a poor fit with what this team does. His skill set is a poor fit in MLS in general where being a DP that can't create his own shot and create his own opportunities, 
I, I don't have time for that in a league where you can only pay three guys as a DP. But look at what you had in this match uh, this past week. Vasquez, who I said it, I think, on the podcast last week, he is excellent at creating scoring opportunities. And the numbers bear this out. He is leading the league, leading the league over Chicharito right now. He is number one in MLS in scoring opportunities created. He's incredible at that. The only thing that's missing with Vasquez is the finishing product. And in this match, the finishing product was outstanding. He scored five goals, I think, in his last eight games started, or nine games started, whatever it is, going back to 2021. He is excellent right now in an excellent run of form, and he and Baji play well off one another. Baji is the kind of person you saw it with, you know, the Deckel smash thing, where he's a big body, he occupies space, he can for lack of a better term, body people out of the way to get the ball. When he's not straying off sides, he's incredible at the runs that create space, occupy defenders, and move people around on the field. What does Brenner offer to this pairing right here? I, I don't see why you would mess this up. The only reason to put Brenner on the field right now is that you paid a lot of money for him. And that's a terrible reason to, to, to play a player. I understand that you want to get value out of him and that the new coaching staff doesn't want to be perceived as wasting an asset. But really, I'm, if somebody has an argument for why you play Brenner based on what he's shown so far and what Baji and Vasquez have shown so far, I don't know what it is. I don't know, honestly. So Vasquez had a really nice run of form uh, to close out last season. And what I would suggest are probably tougher circumstances with an interim coach coming in. Uh, but he was he was playing next to Brenner. Um, and, you know, I think it was uh, uh, Matt Doyle on Twitter who said Vasquez has something like five goals and assist over his last full eight, eight games worth of minutes. And, you know, all but two of those goals were when he was playing with Brenner Again, at the end of a lost season with the interim staff uh, having a new formation they hadn't practiced in preseason that was thrown together. So I think there's I think there's probably enough evidence that Brenner and, and Vasquez can play together. Um, I, I I would like to I'd like to at least you know give it a shot. Um, but the only thing that gives me pause is. Um, at the uh, post-game press conference again, after the Orlando game, Pat Brennan asked Vasquez, and he even asked a follow-up question to, to Vasquez about how he plays together with Baji. And with, Vasquez lit up. Like, describing how, you know, they interplay together, how Baji, uh, they communicate so well, um, how, you know, when... Baji is like watching the movement that Vasquez is making and doing a complementary movement. Um, I, I don't know, it made me, it made me, it made me, you know, it, it did, it did make me think that maybe Brenner is the backup only for a moment, just because of how Vasquez was describing playing with him. And maybe he would have given, you know, similar uh, answer about playing with Brenner. Uh, part of me doubts it. But I still think that Brenner has the most upside of all of all three of the strikers, um, and so I would like but to based see on it work what? out. Like ba based on what? Other than other than using the the money they spent to get him, 
where's the argument or where's the where is the evidence that he has more upside than what we're seeing right now? Considering that this pairing of Baji and Vasquez again has resulted in Vasquez leading the league, leading MLS in scoring opportunities created, it's XG. and even in the matches with XG. I mean, even in XG, we're we're in all these games. We're supposed to be a vastly inferior side in terms of talent to all these teams we're playing, and Vasquez looks legitimately dangerous in each one of these games we've played so far this year. I mean, people forget, in that Atlanta game, like he missed an opportunity within the first two minutes after conceding that first goal to score and equalize right there. It was an inches away from, from equalizing right there. He's been in dangerous positions in every single game he's been in, and it's been a pairing with him and Baji, or even in that first game with that Marcanic kid. Um... I don't see why you messed that up right now. The only evidence to suggest that Brenner should be the guy there is that they paid a lot of money for him. It's like that scene in um, in the uh, what was the movie called where they bought the set list from Neil Diamond and it was a photocopy. <laughs> it's like no, that has to be a real thing. I paid a lot of money for it. Saving Silverman. Yeah, it's that. That's the that's the argument here is why, why should we put Brenner? Oh, he has to be good. We paid a lot of money for him. Well, in case you haven't noticed, the guy who paid a lot of money for him got launched from this club last year. So I don't understand. I don't understand why we look at this situation and we're like, "Oh, Brenner has to be good." There's a lot of upside there. When the guy who sold him the management and sold the contract to management or ownership, sold the contract to ownership, was fired for being a bad judge of talent. So Brenner did score the most goals of any FC Cincinnati player in, in Major League Soccer last year in a team that was tactically rigid playing a system that didn't work in MLS and that was not built for him to succeed in the first place. He had a great So the only thing we've learned about that then is that he's really good at playing for Yap Stop. He had a great Who goal cares? scoring record. He had a great goal scoring record uh, yeah. in Sao Paulo, uh, which neither Vasquez nor Baji have had even in MLS. Uh, they've never had a season in MLS as good as Brenner had in Sao Paulo at like 18, 19. And and again, Vasquez produced at the end of the season, playing next to Brenner. And not under Yapstam, under Tyrone Marshall. But isn't the theme of this year, isn't the theme of this year that just MLS is different? And that the were Tyrone Marshall was MLS. coaching the team in MLS. <laughs> right, but I don't care what Brenner's record was at Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo doesn't have designated you said, players. The they don't have Gam. You said, they don't what's have the evidence? Tam. I gave you that. I gave you that's some not evidence. evidence. <laughs> that's not evidence. That's that's it's it's comparing apples to PlayStation games. So, it has absolutely no relevance to one another. So round. if I if I could put the argument for for Brenner. I, I would I would argue this. Brenner is 22 years old. Vasquez is 22 years old. Vasquez has largely been irrelevant to a backup until literally these last eight games. Uh, Brenner has four goals and 11 caps for the Brazilian U17 team and 13 goals and 38 appearances for Sao Paulo. And I understand the Brazilian league doesn't have DPs, but it does have, in general, a higher standard of defense. And so those goals are pretty good but i would also say vasquez doesn't have that vasquez didn't even have a good goal scoring record in usl he really only recently got it and i totally am behind not interrupting form but you can't tell me brenner couldn't potentially be better than baji especially if mata is back providing that attacking width but the other thing with brenner is that brenner's skill set is he is a poacher and he's, of course, going to look better in leagues where there are better players around him. I think Brenner would be a great fit over in Europe. 
where you can have good players everywhere on the field. You can have good wingers. You can pair a good second striker with them. You can have good midfielders. And he can be the guy that floats around and cleans up messes, and he has that skill set. But in MLS, you're not going to find that skill set. You're not going to create as many messes in MLS. Brenner, do you, is there any argument here that Brenner make, scores that goal that Vasquez had when Baji feeds that ball right across the middle? I, I don't think Brenner scores that goal. That's not the kind of goal he scores. Brenner is the kind of person that collects the miss and puts that back. But you need the guy who's going to score that goal right there at that spot. Brenner does win the penalty when uh, Vasquez didn't go down and tried to take a shot. Vasquez is also leading the league right now in in is third in the league. Sorry, third in the league in fouls drawn right now, though. So Vasquez is drawing fouls. This but Vasquez year. even said in his interview that he should have gone down because <laughs> he thinks he was pulled. <laughs> I will say this. I will say this. This is interesting. The domestic American striker market is awful. You see Miguel Berry doing the Brandon Vasquez to Jossie Zardes right now in Columbus. Vasquez is only, I don't know if he can maintain this form through the summer. Hell, he could be looking at national team call-ups. Like it's not that hard to get an American striker into the national team if he's one of the best performing strikers in MLS. I, he he takes Zardes' spot in a heartbeat. We gotta stop talking about Brenner. My wife texted me not to be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> this is why podcasters have studios so that you don't have to worry about getting the the, the significant other upset from the other room. <laughs> It's incredible. Uh, I think the first time we did this, my wife said, I couldn't hear what you guys were saying, but it sounded like you were having fun. And I was like, you know what? That's exactly what was happening. Uh, my wife tells me I need to calm down more. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, guys, I think that'll do it for uh, Orlando. Um, and this was great. Part two, we've got coming up here, uh, Alex Steck uh, from the FC Cincinnati Digital Content Team. She's the director of it, uh, giving us a little bit of background and what it's like to work with this new team. Um, so we'll catch you on the other side of that, but enjoy the interview. She's fun. Uh, so joining us on part two of the postcast, we have the one and only Alex Steck. She is FC Cincinnati's director of digital content. And to be perfectly honest with you, if you're listening to this podcast, you know who she is. Uh, but Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I just I, I guess I'll start off the, the question here. Uh this is this is sort of verboten in, in soccer world, but you went from Columbus Crew to FC Cincinnati. You moved from one rival to another. Uh, was your house TP'd? Did you did you get any strange you know notes in the mail? Was was there anything that happened there in that move? Well, thank you for having me. Um, nothing really happened, but it may also be because I worked a game on Saturday night in Columbus for the Crew. And the very next day, I was at Nippert Stadium working for SC Cincinnati. So there was no time. I, I literally grabbed my remaining clothes and just threw them in my car and drove straight to the stadium. In fact, I had my car was packed to the max of whatever dresses because I actually stayed on for about six weeks with the crew to help them out just with that transition period. Um, a lot of people, a lot of my coworkers were all leaving at the time. Um, so responsibilities were just kind of piling up and people didn't know what the future would hold. Um, so it was it was an interesting time, but 
they, I didn't want to leave them too shorthanded. So I helped kind of find my replacement um, and train this person. And so I stayed on as long as possible. In fact, I lived with my friend. She let me crash in her guest room for a month and I just (laughs) kind of paid her rent and said, Hey, thanks for letting me stay. So I had my stuff in her basement, in her guest room. And then every weekend I would just, once we found a place down here, I was just driving it down to Cincinnati. One of my former teammates from Ohio university, she found a place and we ended up being roommates, had a great time, lived in Oakley. And yeah, so it was a, a quick turnaround. Nothing too bad happened. Just a, a little bit of hate in the mentions. You know, we, we all get that sometimes. So since since you never had a press conference introducing yourself, obviously, can, can I be the first person to ask you perhaps, have you tried Skyline Chili? Uh, do you like Skyline Chili? What are your thoughts on Skyline? I have. I have. I do like Skyline. <laughs> I won't say I eat it regularly, um, but there there are times that, that call for Skyline. I like just the the smaller five-way and super strange, but their Greek salads are very good. And I'm Ooh. a big salad person. I don't know. So it's it's delicious. It's a great combination. Get a little bit of both. And that's, that's my go-to meal at Skyline. So what is the question, the Columbus equivalent of the, have you tried Skyline question that like every athlete gets first overall. We had Pat Brennan on last week and we asked him if it was a Geno's or Pat's question with cheesesteaks back in Philly. But is there something in Columbus that we should be aware of that everyone gets asked and they get sick of hearing about in terms of, have you done this local weird thing yet? I don't think so. That's, that's a good question. There's nothing I can think of tradition wise that there's a certain food or anything. I mean, you know, about Buckeyes, the chocolates with peanut butter in them and stuff. And then everyone kind of talks about Ohio state with it being so immersed in the city, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. There's, there's a lot of good restaurants in Columbus, but it's funny when you come to Cincinnati, everyone says, Oh, did you try this? Did you try this? And there are a lot of, there's a lot of overlap in both cities. So chances are, if you've had it in one, you may have had it in the other, um, but lots of good, good restaurants in both places. Th- thank you for that answer. By the way, I'm going to choose to interpret that as Columbus has no culture worth asking about. And it's another point in favor of the city of Cincinnati as being the superior city in the state of Ohio. Thank you. You heard that here from, <laughs> first from Alex Deck. Your words, your words. <laughs> you go from, Columbus, I guess I'm curious, how does somebody end up as a brand journalist of a major league soccer team? It feels like such a niche thing. I'm assuming you didn't get your bachelor's degree in brand journalism, but I could be wrong. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious what that what that journey looked like. Very interesting. Um, I've always kind of worn a lot of hats, but I've also just been eager to learn as much as possible, kind of make myself a Swiss army knife. That was some advice I received from people in the industry. And it was just how much, how, how many different things can you learn so that you make yourself very valuable um, and figure out what you like also along the way. So I majored in journalism, not brand journalism, but (laughs) it is funny how associated I am with the brand now and we're brand marketing communications. It's funny how it's all kind of come around, but no, I I majored in journalism. Um, It's the bachelor of science in journalism, which I always found so weird because I'm like, journalism isn't science. Like I'm not good at science. That's not my forte. (laughs) Um, And I did, I did stuff on the broadcasting side. So there was a, a local TV and radio station called WOUB at Ohio University. And you get amazing hands-on experience. You get to learn from people. There's a 30-minute sports show that we worked every night or every um, every week that would air on Friday nights. So, you know, of course you would be at home studying or <laughs> at the bar <laughs> with your friends or at a house or something. You're like, oh, the Bobcat Sports Showcase, it's on TV. And you're like, oh, I'm on for two minutes or something. So 
you would go and cover teams, but you would shoot, you would edit, um, you would you would produce your own packages, you would do voiceovers, you would do interviews, you would go and cover whichever team you were assigned, you would cover their games. So you learned a ton. And by the time you actually took your classes, you're like, oh, I, I know what I'm doing. I, I just got this experience at the TV and radio station. So, you know, it was, it was very interesting. I learned quickly. I wasn't into the news side of things with the morning radio and, and all that. I was like, oh, where, where's the sports department? I, these are my people. Um, so then I ended up, um, I got in, it was a paid position. It was a part-time role. So the year before my, my senior year, and I don't want to go too in depth, but it's kind of weird how it all evolved. Um, it's very challenging to get internships when you are an athlete because your summer is shorter. Mm. So a lot of places don't want to hire you because you say, Hey, my summer is uh, six weeks. Is, does that work for you guys? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I promise I'll be a valuable asset, but, and they want to bring people on for the full summer. Um, but you have to report early for preseason. You're in a fall sport. So I worked at ESPN Cleveland, had an internship there, and I also worked at, at K Jewelers. So I was like doing both, <laughs> just a little income. Wild combination right there. So bizarre. I worked at UPS, <laughs> my first my first job too, a jumper, you know, like packages, throwing them at people's doors. Bizarre. You know, you just, you learn life experiences. But so I was working at K ESPN Cleveland. And on my last day, um, one of the gentlemen I worked with, Bobby Cart, took me over to, uh, it was sports time Ohio at the time. And on my last day, I got to meet someone, Pat Kilkenny. And he said, Hey, if you're interested at all in interning here next year, why don't you send me a note? And I said, absolutely. I'd love to get involved on the TV side of things. Um, learn, learn that industry a little more. So I ended up reaching out to him and they said, yeah, yeah, we'll keep in touch. It was a full year. And as we're getting closer, they said, um, actually we just got bought by Fox sports. So Fox is bringing on their interns and we don't have a position for you. So then I oh. nannied, okay, <laughs> whatever I could. And said, so I, I stayed in touch. And um, before, so my senior year, I started applying to a couple jobs and they reached back out, which was now Fox Sports, Sports Time Ohio. And they were also affiliated with Fox Sports Ohio. And they said, would you like to be a production assistant? And I said, you know what? It's a foot in the door. I can live at home, save money, um, work my way up. And that's what I did. So I was doing like a remote control camera for baseball games. I was answering a phone for Drennan Live saying, hey, it's Bob from Akron on line one. <laughs> like, I can't believe I have a college degree for this. <laughs> that kind of work. Talk yeah. radio with a college degree. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Bruce Drennan wanted nothing to do with soccer. Too funny. Um, oh. but, yeah, so, but I, the people that I worked with were so helpful and so willing to help me achieve goals and kind of do what could I do next? Well, what could I do next? So I would write my own scripts. I would put them in the teleprompter and practice these updates and just doing stuff on camera. I would go out to shoots and hold lights. I would go out to random high school football games and I would interview the coaches ahead of time. And then I would do like a report on it even though I wasn't actually sideline reporting for the game, you know, the videographer, Mitch Haddon, like there were just so many people who helped me along the way. I was really grateful for that. Um, and then just kind of was able to build a reel as well. So I had been there almost a year and I was editing video. And that's also all these little things have helped when you talk about this digital content role. Okay. I've had my, my hands in a lot of different things where I can speak from experience or I know what it takes. 
Um, but it's it's helped kind of mold me and, and give me those experiences that I know what goes into the to different things to producing a complete product. So um, I ended up I did the sideline reporting for the girls high school basketball state championships. It was like four games in a day. It was crazy. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and right after that, I saw this position open up for a brand journalist for the Columbus crew. And I like was so excited about it. And I read it and I'm like, this is amazing. This sounds perfect for me. And my dad goes, do you know what a brand journalist is? And I was like, no, dad, I, I, I actually don't, you know, now that I come to, he goes, start there. Google brand journalist. I'm like, I don't actually know what that is, but the job description sounds good. So that's where I learned. And when I went through the interview process, they said, you're like a unicorn, to be honest. And I was like, okay, I think that's a compliment, but <laughs> so they were just that can go two ways. Experience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all those things. How could, how could, um, I, how could they kind of put me in a role? So that's where I started doing everything. There was very little social media presence when I got there. So that's where it kind of, um, spurred from there, did on camera stuff, did whatever, ended up starting to do sideline reporting there as well. Um, so that's, that's how I got to that role. Everyone at Fox really helped me. Um, I was actually editing video at nights when everyone would go home for the day because that's when the edit bays were open. And I was doing like commercials for the reds and uh, the blue jackets and all this stuff. And just, it's, it's a grind, but those kind of experiences have been, it was a lot of fun. And when I look back on it, it's, it's kind of cool how I've ended up here, but yeah, you guys know why I came to Cincinnati. So I'm, I'm here now and I'm having fun. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> No, that's, that's an amazing journey. And, and you're right. You really, you really did have to put together all of those skills to be, you know, the complete package because yeah, you go to Columbus crew and I can't imagine they have a huge staff. So that had to be an asset to have all of those, those abilities there to be able to wear a bunch of different hats. Um, I'm just curious where you learned your step over technique, because that is how FC Cincinnati <laughs> learned about you. Um, I, I heard that, that the video went, went over really well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, we loved it. <laughs> oh, gosh. I couldn't tell you when I first learned to step over. I've been playing soccer since I was four, so one of my coaches along the way. But that one was, okay, why not have a little bit of fun with it? You know, we got to do something, something kind of fun. And it was pretty hilarious. Hilarious. Everyone's like, what is she doing? Full kit wanker right now. I'm like, trust me, it's going to be funny. Yeah, some people are upset, but now, you know, I'm just kind of goof around. You got to be able to laugh at yourself and laugh with other people. So I'm glad, I'm glad that things have kind of turned around and everyone sees the humor in it now, I hope. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so who on FC Cincinnati has a game most similar to yours? Ooh. Tough question. Hmm. I mean, they're so much better than me. They're so much better. <laughs> I'm, I was, I was always best as a winger. So butt to the sideline, good at whipping and crosses, um, corners, getting on the end of balls. And then in college, my coach said, you're tall, you're strong. We're going to make you a target forward. Um, so they put me as a nine and that was super weird learning to play with my back to goal. 
So I really wouldn't compare myself to one of the strikers. I'm always better on the wing, but I'm not nearly, you know, I'm not as quick as Alvaro. I'm, I can't jump nearly as high as Baji. He competes with the goalkeepers when they're reaching up to the guy for the ball. We're probably the same, same strength. I think Baji and I are probably, you know, just as strong, but no. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was a physical player. I wasn't quick, um, but I was fast when I could get going. I could run, run for days. Um, but that's, that was my skill set. Not so really like a, skills. like a Danny Koenig type. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. going to go Daryl Fordyce. So I was going to go deeper cut there, but yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to go back to, you worked in, you worked, you seemed like you've worn a lot of different hats in media, but you were talking about answering the phones for talk radio. I, I've long had a take that what's really missing from American soccer media is that we really don't have talk radio for soccer where you can get like Glenn from Norwood calling in when he's all sauced up and asking questions about why the team isn't signing Messi or Ronaldo or whatever. Do you have any good uh, caller stories from your time working in talk radio or weird things that you heard when you were answering the phones? That's tough to come up with stuff off the top of my head, but you definitely did hear some weird things. And I would get so nervous. Like, are you going to hang up the phone? Or are you, are you going to let this guy talk live on air? Cause there was, there was live radio. And then at um, sports time, Ohio, it was, a live TV show and Drennan live Bruce Drennan. I don't know if you've ever watched it talks for three hours and he just kind of like yells at callers and he's just, you know, because it's like grumpy man, but that's how this is his persona that people love and they tune into it. Um, There were, there were some interesting calls, but I I don't know that I would have the patience to host a show like that ever. (laughs) I I think, I think a live FC Cincinnati call-in show would be electric. And if you guys are looking for content for fccincinnati.com, Perfect. Taking live phone calls on the air. There's nothing that could possibly go wrong with that. I I encourage you to give it a try. Maybe one or two weeks just to see what happens. Who <laughs> should host this? I, who's going to host this show? I mean, if only we had a, a person at the club with experience in all facets of media oh, who would be a perfect host for something like this. I don't know. Kevin, do you know someone that would, would fit the bill here? Grayson? Uh, I've, I've heard of somebody that had an internship with ESPN cleveland that might be a good fit that seems like a good a natural placement there uh what's harder live television or managing fc cincinnati's twitter account twitter account for sure for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely but i do have help with it tc brewster has been awesome um we're getting a social media manager brought on at the beginning of april so some breaking Ooh. news there for you um and then i was just going through coordinator candidates today so we are getting help. It's been long overdue. Um, we've had people in roles, hybrid roles, even Matt Chisler, like people who have just helped out. Um, right now, John Horlander is on our PR staff, our communication staff. He's helping with live tweeting during the games. It's just how, how stretched we are, but that's why it might read a little different when you're like, who's tweeting right now? So I will say it's a group effort. I'm not the one, the only one who has to read the mentions, but there are times where I just want to, I want to give people answers, but it's hard to answer all the questions. Um, after that first loss, I was deleting some comments on Instagram. There were a, a few negative ones that I didn't <laughs> want our guys to see. So you have to manage that a little bit. But. So how, how have you noticed that that's changed during your time uh, being involved in communications and media? Because it seems like social media becomes more prevalent every year. Yeah. And even the stuff that you would have learned in college recently is probably outdated at this point. So what's been the biggest change that you've seen in terms of how social media is used and how social media versus traditional media, how the balance has shifted since even you got involved in, in the sports game? 
Yeah, it's changed a lot. And that's the biggest thing about social media. It is always changing. Um, so you have to be open to that too. This isn't something where you can ever call yourself an expert and say, I know what's best and this is what works all of the time because it, it's constantly changing. You have to be open to growth. You have to have those conversations. You have to look at the numbers, but sometimes the numbers might not matter. You know, like we can, we can look at something and see, this was successful. We posted it at this time. We thought through this content like really thoroughly. Uh, we spent several hours on it, but then there could also be something funny. That's like a stupid picture and you put it out and it blows up and you're like, Oh yeah, we just, we barely tried on that one. So it's, there are things where you can't really be a, a full on expert because things are always changing. Um, I think as far as live streaming, that's something that's still evolving, but it's becoming even bigger. Um, so that's something where we did that road show. We did like the pre, what was it? The pre, pre-match, I don't, pre-match meeting. That's what it was called. Um, oh, four yeah, matches. Yeah. So much time editing and producing the show and for like 11 people to tune in, including my mom. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the worst time of day to do Ugh. it. But, um, but that's also something where that was a pre-game show and that was hosted on Facebook. So it's hosted on social media. Now you see certain MLS matches that are live streamed on Twitter. You can't even, unless you're watching in Spanish, you can't watch it on the TV. So that's something where I think as we continue to evolve things, you're going to see more and more things on social media. There's different ways where they're just hooking you to stay on longer and longer. TikTok, Instagram reels, like you just keep scrolling and you get sucked in. Um, but I think one of the, the biggest changes too, and, and how we use it, we have to change the perspective of people seeing it as free advertising. Because mm. yes, we have over a hundred thousand followers, close to 115,000. Now everyone sees that and thinks, oh, well, can we just tweet about it? Because we have a much larger audience. More people are going to see it. Let's just tell them this on Twitter. And it's trying to explain that's not how the platform should be used. If you were putting up a billboard, you would be paying how much money to put that, that advertising out there. Um, so we want to make sure that what we're putting out is pointed. Of course, we want people to be engaged. We want to put out exciting content that people love and get it, get excited about that. They want to share that they want to reply to, but if you're just putting out a graphic and a ticket link, people might not be like, Oh, that's amazing. You know, <laughs> nobody's going to say <laughs> yeah. that when they see that. So I understand you, there's just this way you have to get creative with how you push tickets or what is, what is valuable to a partner. Um, if it's, you know, Mercy Health is on their Jersey, that's going to be something that's organic advertising for them, but that's not something that may be in their agreement as far as like however many social media posts. So, I mean, it's getting kind of in the weeds there, but I, I think you get what I'm saying as far as there's paid media and there's organic posts. And that's something that we try really hard to keep separate, but it does take a lot of education. So do you think about the different audiences that you see in each platform, like Facebook versus Twitter yeah. versus Instagram? And, and how do you think about those audiences when you put out content? Yeah. So, I mean, Facebook is probably the most negative. You're going to have your older fans on Facebook. <laughs> who may you not don't know. say. Yes. <laughs> I, see, I, see you, I see you've been to the Bailey Facebook page, too, it turns out. <laughs> they may not be the most soccer savvy people um but i think that's what's important too so when we get 
our staff built out a little more too. We want to be even more pointed in what we're doing. For example, if we have a sit down interview with a player, with Pat, with someone, it might be four or five minutes. Well, our Twitter audience may not want to watch that full interview. That might be kind of long. So can we take a snippet of it, tweet that more people would watch that. And then if they want to watch the full thing, head to our website, head to YouTube. Um, so it's, it also varies. We, we never put interviews on Instagram. Instagram, you'll notice, is very photo heavy. There's also some videos, but they're very polished. Um, any of the, the highlights in game are going onto Instagram reels that are then shared to the story. So it's, it's all very thought out, but it's how people are going to consume content, um, what they're going to engage with, but also I don't want a bunch of graphics on our Instagram feed. We want it to look clean. We want it. When you think about what you're scrolling through, what is going to be eye-catching for you and the sizes as well, what's going to take up the, the maximum space on your screen. So, and, and big props to TC Brewster too. I, I am grateful for him. He's done an amazing job too, but um, we hold the, the standard high and yeah, absolutely. You're thinking about all the different platforms. It's easiest to put stuff on Twitter, but I spent way too long this morning trying to get our TikTok account back so that we can start doing stuff on there just because there is another audience there that we want to tap into. One second. I just have to ask because I'm I'm ignorant to this. Does FC Cincinnati have a TikTok account? We do. We do. Okay. We've never posted on it. The problem is okay. when we set it up, we set it up linked to Instagram. And now oh. TikTok doesn't allow you to log in that way. So oh. we're... When you talk about building out your when you talk about building out your staff, does that also include a 13 year old to run TikTok? Because I'm convinced right? nobody older than 13 understands how TikTok works. Right, it's unreal. It's crazy. That's that's <laughs> part of the reason we haven't we haven't done it. But you also can't post highlights. There there are restrictions from the mm-hmm. league of what content you can post. So when it first came out, we made the decision: this isn't worth what we would have to put into it what kind of content would be very specific for that. We already have other platforms that we need to create content for those established audiences rather than trying to um, build an entirely new audience on a, on a whole other platform. I also wanted to ask a question, sort of following up on what you were saying earlier, though, about um, putting interviews with players and coaches. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance the idea that the fans want to see more access? They want to see behind the scenes. They want to see videos from training they want to talk to players they want to learn about players and this sort of natural reticence that exists in soccer of well we're we don't want everything filmed we don't want everything seen um i think that the secrecy has been peeled back significantly in the last four to six months you know Mm -hmm. for whatever reason um but how do you balance that need to let the fans inside with also respecting what the technical staff and what the coaching staff wants to keep to themselves and keep on the pitch and on the training facility. Yeah, it's a tough balance, but I think, um, I mean, it's, it's understandable, right? Like if we say we're not going to put something out where it's 11 v 11 the day before a game, you guys are going to understand that. People aren't going to be upset about us not tweeting out what the lineup is or, or showing um, if we're not showing a full group or Um, a player in the background training off to the side, like that's, it's not about not showing the fans. It's a competitive advantage for the other team because you know, the other clubs are looking at social media and seeing, did this person travel? Did this person train? And they're trying to find those little things to give them a competitive advantage. Now this staff has been incredible. And a big part of that too, is because they've been around the league, they know it. 
they, whether they were players, they were staff, they, they get it. They know that access is important, especially when you're trying to build the sport, you're trying to build the audience, you're trying to build a fan base and you want to entertain that fan base as well. So especially in major league soccer, MLS can't have this ego or anything of, Oh, like you can't see anything we're doing. We're not going to tell you anything. We're not going to show you anything because the access is something that really brings, really draws the fans in. When you think about even just other leagues in this country, the NBA, the NFL, they have big followings, but their players aren't quite as accessible. And that's also just salary based. That's, that's who they are as people. But that's one of our biggest advantages as players within this league are so accessible. They're down to earth. They're good people. And this staff also cares about bringing in guys who are, have good character, are good teammates who are not only good on the field, but also they understand, okay, we have to do media work. We have to do whatever, you know, they want to interact with the fans. So that's, that's important. And that's something that this coaching staff cares about as well. Um, when we're looking at the different types of content too, we want to bring out their personalities but we also have to do, we have to balance it with results, right? Because if we're putting out a bunch of funny content and we're not winning games, <laughs> it's probably not going to be received well. So Read the, the room. Years, <laughs> right. So the last couple of years, I feel terrible. People say, you know, we might not know the players as well. Yeah. Because we don't want to put the players in a situation where they're joking around and everyone's saying, ah, focus on soccer, play, you know, focus on your sport and not this or whatever. So um, it's a balance of, of showing their personalities, but also being mindful of, of what's happening on the field. And that's where we try and balance personality content with soccer specific content. So there's been some news recently, and I, this may be a little outside of, outside of your purview, but there's been some news recently about the, um, new TV deal that MLS is going to, is going to get. And a lot of folks have paid, uh, time on, on media, like in the athletic about recent MLS TV ratings. And I was wondering, you know, if you had any thoughts on would MLS benefit from something like hard knocks or something like that formula one show on Netflix, where, you know, suddenly everybody I know is obsessed with formula one, whereas, you know, before I'd never heard anybody uh, even mention it. Possibly. I mean, did you see there was one on LAFC? I believe it was on yeah. Plus. Yeah, that was really good. That was well done. So I think that's similar style. And what's interesting is there was the first year um, we had a lot of cameras in a lot of different rooms for a long period of time with a plan of doing this whole kind of documentary style series. <laughs> but when things don't go so well... <laughs> Do you really want to see that? No, you just have not. to. You have to wait till we win. We win MLS Cup, and then like whenever <laughs> they have those videos, the first thing they always show is something horrendous. That was like, this is how the fire was forged. It's right. like you know Tom Brady throwing a pick six and glaring at the camera, and then yeah. you just know he's winning a Lombardi at the end of the year. So just right. hang on to all that footage. And when we win the trophy, then you dump it all out. And it's like, see, look how cool this was. It was going to be awesome. And look what you suffered through in order to make this all worthwhile. There it's got go. value. Gotta, Hold on to it. 
You've got it planned out. <laughs> it did. It did crack me up that nonstop flight like acts like the uh, 2019 season ends with the Portland game. It's just like, eh, don't worry about what happens after this. The the cruise back hill was about about as good as it got. Uh, <laughs> I expected that to be a lot more in depth. I think like a uh, it was good. It was well done, but I yeah. I don't think it was. Yeah, for sure. It didn't reveal that much stuff that people didn't already know. I mean, in 10 years, the gritty reboot of it with the behind the scenes of Koch and Ron Jans and everything, that will be, sure. that will be must-see TV. Um, <laughs> <laughs> given, you know, given that you do have this access and you are able to see things that other people aren't, is there, I've, I've always had this idea that we've got, like, we have a sneaky good academy. Like, I don't watch any academy uh soccer but the people who do tend to rank us in the top 10 and every list i've seen published are there a couple of youngsters out there that we haven't got to see yet that you are excited about that is training with the first team that you think maybe later this year could be big contributors or names we should keep an eye on to be honest i typically only pay attention to the first team (laughs) i'm serious fair enough It's a lot of players to keep track of right now. I wish I kept better track of um, the academy teams. And I've just been talking to Tyrone Marshall more about FCC too, because I'm I'm interested in it. And it's cool to hear how this league is kind of affecting things, how things are different. Um, you know, this past weekend, they hardly had any first team players come to FCC two to play over the weekend because the first team was didn't have a lot of depth already. You know, some guys were hurt. So there weren't a ton of guys that played with FCC too. Well, a lot of the Academy guys got to step up and got some great experience. So that I think is, it's an incredible opportunity for you've got the the guys on the first team who are going to stay match fit. They're going to build their confidence. They're going to get minutes. And then you also have the opportunity for these Academy players to step in. And that's the biggest thing with having youth development to this first team is having this system in place, right? This style of play that no matter who is stepping onto the field, they know, okay, these are probably my responsibilities because this is how we want to play. This is, this is the style of play. This is the system that we want to implement. So then when these younger players also kind of graduate up to the first team and can earn a homegrown contract, um, then you have those opportunities where they, they're integrated into the system. You see it with the Red Bulls, you see it with Sporting Kansas City, with Dallas, like those are examples at Philadelphia of, of clubs where those are, those are aspirational things that I think are possible with this young group that we have. And I mean, it, it's good seeing Kimi Ordonez. I think he's a great example of a player that he does have potential. There is, there is something there that's special with him. Um, and I would expect him to play this year, you know, and get minutes and, and have an impact. And um, Harrison Robledo is fantastic. He's one of the younger players that, we haven't seen a ton of, but he's just, he's very smart in the way that he plays. And I think another thing, and I kind of mentioned this earlier too, though, it's just, is the character and that being so important for the staff. If you look at the players that they brought in from the super draft and, and also onto the roster, but especially from the super draft and these young players, they are all very humble, very hardworking mm. and they show up and they, they don't have expectations. They don't think that they're you know, this amazing player and they deserve, deserve <laughs> anything. They just go out there, they do what they're asked to do. And they just listen to the coach. They listen to their teammates and they, they have this humble attitude. It's not like, Oh, I'm a pro. I made it. 
you know, it's, it's very, it's very good to see. So I like the attitudes of these players. And I think that's, that shows promise for the future too. No, that's, that's awesome. That's good to hear, you know, as fans, we we always like to hear, to hear the the youngsters look all right there. Um, I mean, I don't want to harp on like changing regimes or anything, but obviously this year's a fresh start, new GM, new manager, new uh, support staff, a couple of new faces around the team. What's the vibe like with this first team? How does it compare to last year? Um, you know, what, what, what's this team feel like on a, on a day-to-day basis? It's awesome. It's awesome. Honestly, <laughs> like i I look forward to coming to work and, and talking to these guys and Dominic Kinnear is hilarious. I hope that we can <laughs> show you his personality, but like, <laughs> He's amazing. He's a great, great guy. I mean, even just the last match, watching the staff interact with the officials, like they're calling the refs mm. by first name, you know, the fourth's coming over and putting his arm around Dom. And I'm like, the fourth official last year used to ignore our coaches. Like, what do you speak <laughs> to them? Just completely ignore them because there's, you know, they have this relationship. They've been around the league. Like they, they have these, um, I don't know, like it's, it's just this personality and, everyone here is treated with respect. They're treated well. And that is huge. It's, it's come from Chris. It's come from Pat and Pat's talked about that in interviews. You guys have heard it, but he just cares about the people and treating people right. And if you do that, people, everyone wants to give their all to this team. And, and when everyone's giving their all, then that reflects well on the players and, and all the players know everyone here is giving everything that they can to help these guys succeed. So it is, it is good to see it's much better. I mean, you're not walking on eggshells around the training facility. It's good vibes. There's a lot of um, laughter and stuff and not paranoia or anything when you're walking into the assistant coach's room where everything's all over the boards and you just pop in to say hi or have a question. So it's, it's very refreshing. And that goes back to that point you made earlier as well, that it does matter to have people that understand the way this league works. This isn't Europe. It isn't a adversarial relationship with people that are involved in other aspects of the club it's not an adversarial relationship with the media it's not an adversarial relationship with even the fan base it's it's everyone needs to row the boat forward for this league to succeed and I think we're learning that firsthand with this team and I'm assuming that makes your job easier too in terms of generating content when it's people that understand that no this isn't an extra burden it's part of what drives the ship forward it engages the fan base it helps people feel excited and bought in to what's going on with the team, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I don't, I don't want to go back to Columbus days too, but I will say when I first started there, I mentioned they didn't have a social media presence. They didn't have anyone taking photos at training. Or at, selling uh, tickets for that matter. I don't think. Right. Okay. Hey, I've got your St. Patty's Day promo, whatever. No. <laughs> <laughs> So, That's a timely and topical reference here. Yeah, yeah. I just see that whole green outfit, but no. I, uh, so when I first started, you know, I I had to wait outside of the gate at training for the final fifteen minutes with the media members, and I'm like, this is so weird. Like, what do they think I'm going to do? I'm I'm here to help the team. I'm I'm part of the team. I would never make you guys look bad. So anyway, it was it took a lot of work to kind of break down those walls and have this trust and this understanding. And some people are just like that. Some coaches are like that where, and there are coaches in the league that are like that as well, where you have to kind of build that trust. Whereas with others, 
you have the trust, it's yours to lose. Don't mess it up kind of thing. So um, that was a, a good experience um, to be able to learn those kinds of things. But now you have someone like Pat who's saying, look, if putting a formation on a graphic and putting that out an hour before the game is the reason that we're going to lose, we have bigger problems than that. So that's, it's, it's having that, Thank you. that understanding. <laughs> Trust me, we're all, we're all like, <laughs> it was incredible. I mean, we put together a preseason content list and I sat down in the conference room with Pat and I wrote everything on the whiteboard and I just started going through it with him. And there was like, okay, we're going to mic you up for training one day. He's like, okay. And you know, we're going through it. And he's just like, yep, looks good. Sounds good. Just had a couple of questions. So I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> and the reason for that too, is because I, a lot of time and energy is always spent trying to convince, right? So you're showing examples, you're pulling all these examples of other teams and saying, well, look, this is what they did. And they're not actually giving anything away. They're just the access is what people want. So spending all that time kind of trying to fight for things. Now we don't have to put our energy toward that. We can put our energy toward creating awesome content and having people see what they want to see. And that is what is made things so much easier and is, is great. Oh, that's, that's awesome to hear. And yeah, it was funny that, uh, the last, uh, head coach probably didn't want that lineup graphic up, but, uh, didn't seem to actually react his team to what the other team was doing. So I don't, I don't know what the secret information there was for. Um, I mean, you probably can't tell us if Brenner is going to play against Miami. So I'll, I'll ask you this one. How happy are you to see Breck Shea get a red card last week? And how are you feeling going into Miami? <laughs> I figured the fans would be happy about that, to be honest. He's had a bit of we're, we're very happy. Stuff. Don't let anyone yes, convince you otherwise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I posted that. Um, but I mean, it was weird, though. Seeing him play center and back is kind of strange. I think that's – I don't know if that's on him – to be in that position. Great. He didn't handle it well, but also like you're putting a player as a center back and maybe that's not the best yep. idea. So <laughs> it kind of sets him up to fail a little bit. Um, but it is good, you know, hopefully no one else. <laughs> place. I'm, I'm, con no. I'm convinced even on a red card, he's going to find a way to score that just that that guy's just going to be a fucking nemesis for his entire career. Like you could be selling <laughs> hot dogs in the, con in the concession stand and somehow he'll get on the score sheet against us. <laughs> just one of those things. He's, he's going to trip Tyler Blackett trying to do a throw and I can see it he, now. He, he is the <laughs> Bill Hall of FC Cincinnati. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, uh, Alex, I think that, that pretty well does it for our time here. I don't know if there's anything here at the end that you would like to uh, to plug, promote. I don't know if you've got a big content series coming out for FCC. Uh, th throw it out there. Well, I have an idea. It's a cool idea, mm. I think, but it's still in the works and we have to get some some approvals and everything. So I don't want to throw anything out there yet, but um, oh, I come on, have, come on, break, break some news so we can have like a headline. We do a headline grab right here. Oh, no, because, because <laughs> what if people say no and they're not on board with it? Well, I mean, it's, once you say it here, they have to be on board, right? Yeah. No, no, it's already we'll been spoken into the, the epic. The groundswell, yeah. There are dozens and dozens of people that listen to this podcast, so Very we can all build this together. <laughs> no, I mean, so I, I think a lot of people do podcasts now, right? So... Um, we did used to have the, the orange and blue review with Charlie Hatch and myself, and then he left and I didn't want to carry the show by myself. And once again, had to take on too many other things where, um, that wasn't one of the things that I could keep up with, but I do think that we miss out on having, um, 
a more conversational platform, especially with our players and coaches, but just kind of shooting the shit to say, you know, where it's like getting their personalities out there more. Um, so I think there are opportunities to watch that content also, even if it's on YouTube or something, if people prefer to watch otherwise audio is, is fine, but that's something that, um, a couple of us are talking through right now of what can we, what can we create to not only just keep that conversation going, but how can we make it more fun and maybe not even so soccer focused. Interesting. So, so, so at the exact same time that Jonah from Knifey Line Radio is retiring for his last season, the team is starting up a podcast, huh? I'm not a conspiracy yes. theory guy, but I'm a connect the dots guy. So I'm just going to, you know. You hired Jonah. <laughs> I'm 100% on board with this plan. No, there is a Tampa Bay uh, podcast that uses the name The Unused Substitutes, and it's a funny name for a soccer podcast, but you should totally mic up the guys on the bench so you can actually get the in-game feed from The Unused Substitutes each game. That would be funny. That would be really funny. I'm sure we'd get some funny comments. Right, right. They're talking smack about the game, the other players, you know, whatever else. Uh, you leave uh, the how juicy many times bits up, but... How many times am I going to have to get up and jog on the sidelines? God. <laughs> I saw I saw Pat call for a, uh, a sub by doing this, and I'm pretty sure he, he was just calling by uh, whoever had the tallest hair, which might have been Zico at the last home game. It was incredible. I, was, I watched it happen, and I was like, there's no way this is sign language for someone's name. He doesn't know the player. <laughs> I don't know how I missed that. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Well, that, that would be fun. I think Harris Medunian would be hilarious to mic up. I always want to mic him up, but he's one you have to push a little bit on, on media appearances, especially internal stuff. He's very humble, doesn't like to promote himself, but I'm like, Harris, you have so much information to share and just, he, he keeps the rookies humble. I'll say that. He's just a dude I'd love to hear more from. He's just been around the league forever. He's got, right. he's probably got a great story to tell about every place he stopped at. I'd love to hear that. I wrote about 15 questions for him in preseason that we still have yet to get answered. So, <laughs> all right, Harris, if you're, li- if you're listening, this- Harris, get back to Alex, okay? <laughs> Maybe on this new show, you know, we'll see. Yes, yes. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. We'll let you get back to your busy day of running all of the digital content for FC Cincinnati. And uh, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, guys. It's been a blast. Appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Well, again, thank you to Alex Steck for coming on this. I, I got to say, I didn't think she would. Uh, I'm not sure I would if I were in her position. So uh, props to her, props to the team for letting that happen there. Uh, gentlemen, part three, we like to mix it up, like do little grab bags, things like that. Um, I'll start off with this. The, uh, the summer is there for FCC to take. The Reds have burned every last bit of goodwill I've seen with the recent roster teardown. Um, Chief, it's been a while since FCC's had an opportunity like this uh, with the the Bengals and the Reds surging the last few years. Is is this summer going to belong to the Orange and Blue? I don't see how it doesn't. I mean, you look at what the Reds have done these last couple of days, and I, I haven't seen Cincinnati unified in something like this since everyone 
agreed that Fiona the hippo was the cutest fucking thing ever. <laughs> I mean, that's where we're at right now. As much as people loved Fiona, that's how fucking mad people are at the Reds right now. And, and for the first time, you're actually starting to see the worm turn in the bottle a little bit on Bob Castellini, which by my count is about five years overdue, maybe longer. Yeah. But here we find ourselves. And it's inexplicable because FC Cincinnati punted their ability to be the darling franchise of Cincinnati. When they first started, things were different. I mean, people would, the casuals, quote unquote, were talking about how this team is different. They care about the fans. They want to win. And they just took a wet fart (laughs) over that over the last couple of years with the MLS build. But the Reds, I mean, as bad as FC Cincinnati has been these last couple of years, at the very least, no one could question that they were trying that they're spending money. Like, we just, in the first segment of the show, I shit all over Brenner. (laughs) I don't think he's worth the cash they paid, but they paid cash for him. They went and they made a big signing. They have consistently made big signings. You can think what you want about Birding or Nykamp or anyone that's come through this team, but the ownership cares, and it seems like it's getting better. So I think just on that stance alone... Hopefully they can make some waves this summer. Hopefully they can rebuild some of the dis, uh, the goodwill that's been displaced for this team because the Reds are burning through it like it's you know fucking gasoline at 409 a gallon. Grayson, what's it's been a while since FCC's had this opportunity. What's what's your take on this? Oh, the last time the Reds disintegrated this badly, uh Roman Abramovich became a billionaire. And I do think that the Reds uh, being bad creates a power vacuum. Um, And nature abhors a vacuum, as we all know. (laughs) So um, I do think that we'll see uh, FC Cincinnati seizing the power and, you know, grabbing more territory in the city. Yeah. Can can we also just say, just, you know, I understand this is an FC Cincinnati podcast. Our people that, the dozen people that listen to this are all FC Cincinnati fans. But just fuck Bob Castellini. I mean, fuck this guy. I mean, I want everyone in this town to use the same energy they've had for Mike Brown for the last 30 years over Bob Castellini right now. Because what this motherfucker is doing right now is pathetic. He didn't get his way in the CBA deal. He was pissed off that the luxury tax threshold was too high. And he's now tearing the team down to the studs, I think, because he's mad and wants to prove to everyone he can't compete under the current rule setup. He's also not sports owner rich, so he really needs to sell the fucking team. He's like influential SEC booster rich. He's not sports team rich. So the Reds actually matter in this city. People still give a shit about baseball. And it's one of the few cities in America where people really do give a shit about baseball. And what he's doing is fucking shameful. And just, I, the sad part is, is that everyone's still going to show up for the fucking parade on the, on opening day. They're still going to pack the stadium on opening day. They're still going to wear their hats. They're going to wear their jerseys. And it would be beautiful if everyone just fucking no showed all of this (laughs) because they are being asked to support a, a, a sham. It is a sham product they're putting out on the field this year. So back when Deadspin was a real website and not just like an IP, uh, back they, they used to occasionally get leaks from um, of financials from yes. supposed small bar, small market baseball teams, and all these teams. I, think, I remember I specifically remember Pittsburgh um, had their had their financials leaked and. Uh, uh, Houston before they started, uh, before they started winning, I think as well. 
Um, and uniformly, it showed that all of these teams were doing just fine financially. They were getting massive injections of revenue sharing. They were making money on game day. They had, you know, not the Yes Network, but they had uh, TV contracts that they were making money from. Yeah, I think the Atlanta Braves actually had to open their books up because they're owned by a publicly traded company. And I think the Braves are making north of $150 million per year in profits in Atlanta. And there are so many revenue streams that Major League Baseball teams have that you don't even fucking think about. But I saw that the, the national media deal alone, not even talking the local media deal they get with Bally Sports or whatever the fuck they're calling themselves this year, is a $50 million media deal. Yeah. And that's on top of money that this is baseball's dirty little secret. MLB Advanced Media basically invented streaming on the internet. 90% of the streaming content that you watch from Netflix to the old World Wrestling Federation Network licenses technology on how to stream things in high definition from MLB Advanced Media. It's a major cash cow, and every team is a 132nd or 130th owner of this product, and they make shitloads of money off that too. MLB teams are cash cows, and anyone that tells you that they're not is fucking trying to sell you a bill of goods so they can put more money in their pocket. It to sell kills. the team. Yeah, it, sell the exactly. team. If you're not making so, money, sell the team. Somebody will in, buy it. In England, the tradition, you, you would never call a team in, in the good old days, you'd never call a team uh, had an owner. You, they weren't ever the owner. They were always called the caretaker because the teams were seen as community assets. And while collective ownership isn't really found in American sports, at least the higher reaches of it, I feel like the Reds, the Cincinnati Reds is about as close as we have to like a community asset, something that represents the city that even if you're not a baseball fan, you want the Reds as an institution to be well-respected and, and revered uh, nationally. Like Cincinnati has, uh, I don't know, a larger profile on the national stage, largely thanks to its sports franchises, in addition to a number of other things. But to have an owner, a caretaker in this case, being unable to take care of this community asset and then not do it is it hurts. It's shameful as a Cincinnatian and, and people should be upset that this person has been tasked as asked for the responsibility of maintaining a public asset in exchange there. They'll get a profit and they're not holding up their end of the bargain on this. It, it's just super, super frustrating. The the other thing that's sad too, is that the, the problem with sports is that all these people that own sports teams are too buddy, buddy with one another. <laughs> you don't see like Mike Brown won't criticize Bob Castellini. Carl Linder won't criticize Mike Brown or Bob Castellini. I would love it if <laughs> Mike Brown FC Cincinnati. Know Carl Linder owns a professional <laughs> sports franchise. I mean, I mean, b based on how Mike looked at the AFC Championship game, I don't know what Mike realizes and doesn't realize anymore. He certainly didn't know he was going to be on national TV that day, based on how he was dressed. But I would love if FC Cincinnati really just seize this opportunity to shit down the Reds' throat a little bit on this. Go take their fan base. Have somebody outside Great American Ballpark offering you a ticket to an FC Cincinnati game if you turn around and leave the Reds game right there. I, That's what I want more of in this I city. would absolutely, if I were FCC, I would honor Reds' season tickets to FCC this year. I would just say... You, absolutely! You, you bring it here, you scrap it, and we'll give you one of, of comparable value. Um, and I would just go post them straight up 
Oh, man. Because you know what? That's the only language that these people that own these fucking teams understand, is they understand embarrassment. That's the only thing they care about. other, Other than the bottom line and the money in their pocket... They, they care about the fact that they are being publicly dragged. And it, maybe that's something Castellini needs to see. Maybe he needs to see the soccer team publicly showing him up and publicly humiliating him. And if that pisses him off into actually signing a player, great. Because they, were, they couldn't get rid of players fast enough this offseason. No. They gave Wade Miley away. Rather than trading Wade Miley, they just released him so they wouldn't have to pay him for the 30 or 45 days it would take to trade his contract. <laughs> I mean, they, it is beyond pathetic what the Reds are doing right now. Uh, speaking of public humiliation, uh, we've got a Jonah KLR minute here for the postcast. Uh Jonah, go ahead and uh, take it away, buddy. The stage is yours. Uh, Talk about the Reds if you want. Have at it. If the Cincy Postcast is truly ready to take over for KLR's vacant spot next season, they're going to have to spice things up. You're not getting my tens of thousands of loyal listeners with legit soccer talk. It's not going to cut it. The people crave segments. Stop trying to reinvent the wheel with the old wheel and use my newer old wheel. I got some ideas here. Chief's Perfect Parlay. Chief Warpig picks a wild parlay, then bets real money on it so we can hear him complain the following week. He'll also have to drive to Indiana for this, so that's funny. Unless he lives in Indiana, we don't know. Another one, Kevin's Russian regrets. Each week, Kevin appeals for forgiveness for every red-shaded thought he's ever had. How about Grayson's drafts? We've seen some of his heady tweets that fly over everyone but the biggest of big brains heads. The tweets that send yallers up the wallers. How about he reads us the ones that were so cranium-busting he was afraid to send? Listen, I got more than that, but I've only got one minute, so think about it. Otherwise, I'm coming back next year. Podcast in and podcast out. Fantastic. And you know what? This time I remembered to throw him in. How great was that? Uh, And again, just to keep this theme of embarrassment, public shame going, uh, Grayson, we've been looking at these MLS national TV numbers, just MLS TV numbers in general, and shameful, pathetic, embarrassing, all words that come to mind (laughs) on this one. Um, I think you have the numbers in front of you, and I apologize if I'm calling you out here. What did the uh, LA Galaxy Seattle Sounders game on Saturday do on Big Fox National Television? Fox. Uh, they did about they did according to the numbers in front of me. They did 359,000 viewers Jesus. on Big Broadcast Fox on a Saturday afternoon in a game between the two, arguably marquee franchises in MLS. They got as many people to watch them as like Rachel Maddow. (laughs) It's, it's just absolutely (laughs) pathetic, especially in a year where I, I mean, theoretically at any moment we should be getting MLS media rights deals that should include the local uh, media rights for these teams, uh, national broadcasters, streaming partners that could be Amazon and Apple and Google and whatever else. Uh, Chief, if you're if you're Don Garber, uh, how much are you freaking out right now? He should be f- absolutely freaking out. He, he's bald, but if he had hair, he should be fucking tearing it out at the roots. The ratings are pathetic. I mean, you, that's for network television. To put that in perspective, the World Wrestling Federation is at the lowest point of its popularity probably in my lifetime, and it's still doing 1.7 million viewers for Monday Night Raw on cable. Soccer, is, and 
it would be one thing you can't even say anymore that oh well America is still getting used to the concept of soccer because you can see the Premier League in the dead of the morning draws bigger numbers than MLS does in primetime games. It's it's a massive problem and and the, the the thing is is that if they thought expansion was going to fix this because you're adding more markets and I, I can see where you would think oh well we only have 15 teams, 14 teams, whatever it was, we need to increase our national footprint to get more people watching these games. It's not moving the needle. No. Adding Charlotte, adding Cincinnati, adding Atlanta, all these cities that have come in, the ratings are still stagnant. Even as total number of people in this country increases, immigrant population increases, Premier League soccer ratings increase, it's not all the things that we've been told over our lifetime or over my lifetime that would help make soccer the sport of the future. None of it is helping. Right. And and I, at this point, I, I, I do wonder if MLS is five to ten years too late to really cash in on a TV deal. Because, you know, ten years ago, you could have sold growth potential for soccer to – a network and all these companies were were buying up content left and right because they needed to fill out cable inventory and they needed to charge subscriber rates for cable companies with all these streaming services the question they're asking is how many viewers are you bringing to the table yeah. Yeah, sorry. apple tv is asking how many more people are going to subscribe to apple tv because we have mls and if your answer is at best 350,000 people that's that's not a great position to begin your negotiating. No. Yeah, sorry. Rachel Maddow gets five times what the uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what LA Galaxy Seattle got. These are Don Lemon numbers. <laughs> Jesus. They're Chris Cuomo numbers, and Chris Cuomo's been off the air for like six months. Is that a TV show? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, is, it is astonishing that it's that bad. And part of this, I do think, is, yeah, Chief, to your point, that – the American sports fan uh, that has become a soccer fan, I think, has become more educated faster than MLS anticipated. And in a lot of ways, they are seeking out the better product. And that better product may not necessarily be a higher quality uh, but they're at the very least, Premier League games look better. The presentation is better. And then, of course, I, I don't think anybody's going to argue this, but the Premier League has a higher quality of soccer going on in La Liga and Bundesliga, et cetera. Yeah, Champions League on like Wednesday afternoon got twice the viewers. Yeah. Um, and I think obviously quality has something to do with that. But um, I tuned into the Galaxy Seattle game. It was supposed to start at 3.30. It started at 3.55. And they did nothing for 20... They did nothing worth watching for 25 minutes. Well, that was like... That was that was part of the revelation about why the Premier League, when it debuted on NBC, was such a holy shit moment, was that that was the first time that they had actually... Or anyone had actually ever bothered to try presenting soccer in the same way that the NFL is presented or the NBA is presented with serious studio analysis, with a well-published well -published product. Um, the, the presentation for MLS games is terrible. Yeah. It's just terrible. The national presentation is terrible, which is no surprise because when the U.S. men's national team plays, that presentation is terrible. <laughs> and I don't know who's advising these people or what analysts are making money telling them what they're doing is good, 
but but it's not. It's bad. Um, it's 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 the the hard part too is that even the people that try to be interesting aren't interesting. Alexi Lawless hasn't been interesting for a decade. Taylor Twelman has never been interesting, and they pass these people off as the the titans of American soccer media, and I just don't give a shit. I don't give a shit what I even have to say, and like nothing they say is interesting or controversial. The worst is. It's 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 one thing to be not interesting, but the worst part about them is they're not they're only interesting to people who are already in. Right. Yes. They're not in, they're not interesting to somebody who's just t- tuning into an MLS game and hasn't been you know immersed in Alexi Lawless's or Taylor Twelman's Twitter for the last five years. Now the other thing that's kind of the, th- the thing that's kind of tough about it too is it it's we just talked about it with Alex in the in the interview is I, I get that media is changing and the way people consume media is changing. And it's why I say I, I think MLS may have missed the boat in terms of getting a big traditional television deal. But I, I've been thinking about this for a while because the numbers pop up every single fucking weekend. I am at a complete loss for what MLS does to turn this around. Absent spending an absolute fortune to try and increase the quality of the product. But even then... I don't know how you fight City Hall on this. I, I don't know what MLS does to make Atlanta United more interesting than Manchester United. I don't know how you compete with the history Manchester United has and the brand awareness that people have that Man United, Arsenal, City, Chelsea, for now, um, <laughs> how these teams, they, they're just perceived as better. And that NBC deal for the EPL was almost like the worst case scenario for MLS because it was a better product presented in the English language, which makes a huge fucking difference. Um, where if you like the product, there's English language coverage to seek out more information about your favorite team. Uh, the time is perfect with the marquee matchups happening and basically the NFL's media slot or major college football's media slot. I don't know what MLS does to compete with that. I, I don't know how you exist in the same world where people know that there's a superior product available to them that they're just they could just watch instead. Yeah, you almost think the time to put the good product together, the time to win the TV audience was before the Premier League got the NBC deal, before the Champions League got the CBS deal, before Syria A was on CBS cuz I got to say even the the Syria A presentation, I don't watch a lot of it, but what from what I've seen it's way better than than what you get from watching MLS on TV. I watched, well, I started to watch. I just couldn't. That Houston <laughs> game last weekend. Yeah. The entire the entire product was terrible. It was awful. Yeah. If I were advising the league and and I was looking to turn this around, I mean, my my two pieces would be this. I would reemphasize and and hammer home the in stadium experience. Uh, I I would open the floodgates. I'd let them do pyro. I would be letting fans do whatever the hell they want in terms of active support short of, you know, scenes we stall down in Mexico, but giving people a reason to tune in that way is fascinating. And I would be freaking out at the markets that don't have that in stadium experience. Have, have Trump buy a team. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, you say that, but like, that's a great way. Like I'm there needs joking. to be more eccentric owners in MLS. I mean, the problem with MLS is the single entity system 
really makes all these things feel like mixed soccer. And I know that was the big thing that the USL hardos and the NPSL hardos was, were warning us about before FC Cincinnati jumped to MLS, would make the jump 10 times out of 10. But what you're really missing in MLS is you're missing a Mark Cuban. Yep. You're missing a Jerry Jones. You're missing these larger-than-life owners that want to win, that spend shitloads of money, that are weird people. And it's just not interesting with the way the league is set up. The league, it, We were talking about it last week with that article on The Athletic, too, is the league structure is still set up not to fail. And at the end of the day... That's what's happening right now. MLS is not failing. Congratulations, you have survived. And maybe that's the goal of MLS is just to keep soccer going in America at some nominal level so that some can suck money out of the national team. But at some point, the shift has to get made from MLS playing not to fail to playing to succeed. And that means taking the guardrails off the salary structure, taking the guardrails off the ownership structure, and daring to be interesting. Because right now... This league is not interesting. It's it's enjoyable to follow if you have a team involved, if you're invested in the team that you follow. But from the outside looking in, why the fuck would I follow this league when all the drama, all the intrigue, the transfer nonsense, the players wanting in, wanting out, managers being fired constantly, all the drama's overseas. There's none of there's none in this league. The difference between Donald Trump Jr. and Merritt Paulson is that <laughs> Donald Trump Jr. has an actual following. <laughs> I, and no one's apo- no one's apologizing for Donald Trump Jr. either. Like Merritt Paulson has a bunch of sycophants that still think he's doing things the right way. Oh my God! A uh, Trump-owned team in Fort Lauderdale revived the Strikers just to just to rival David Beckham's Miami team. I'm for it. Well, if Trump was really going to buy into this to soccer. What he would do is he would buy into the USL. And then he would sue MLS in order to force his inclusion and eventually settle the lawsuit for $1 after his USL team folded. Isn't Barron in the D.C. United Academy? He was, at least. I don't know where he is these days. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if he makes MLS, there are going to be some epic fucking chants uh, yeah, another, <laughs> when he's in goal. Another person who doesn't know where Barron is these days is his father. Yes. <laughs> uh, but the other thing I do think, and I've, I've harped on this forever and I'll, I'll continue to uh, support this. Uh, Liga MX and MLS just need to get it over with and get together. Um, it's the perfect marriage. It's the only way any North American soccer league is going to compete with Europe is to merge. You have Liga MX is by far the most popular league in the United States. It has the broadcasting infrastructure. It has the insane owners. It has the transfer drama. They spend generally speaking about as much money as MLS owners do. Um, I think there's a marriage there and they've, they've flirted with it uh, a while. We'll continue to flirt with it this year. But I think if you can convert Liga MX fans into MLS and Liga MX fans, then you've won. Or do this. The other option out, the other way out for MLS is for all the owners to get together and pool as much money as they possibly can and load it onto the biggest airplane they can and fly it over to Europe and buy MLS into Champions League. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, part of the problem with MLS is, is, oh, we have the CONCACAF Champions League. Nobody gives a shit because most people that are right soccer now, fans in America. <laughs> What'd you say? I said it's on right now, by the way. Oh. Great, and I'm sure 10 people are watching it versus you know 10,000 that are watching your average MLS game on local markets. But 
part of the problem is, other than Liga MX, most people that are even diehard soccer fans in America, that would consider themselves large soccer fans in America, most can't name one club outside of either MLS or Liga MX. Yeah. Um, you miss that prestige level that comes with Champions League football um, that the other leagues over in Europe have that add to the drama. I'm saying, why doesn't MLS, all the owners, they all pitch in, they, t- they load an aircraft down with $150 billion, they fly it over to Europe, and they say, next year, we want the champion of MLS to be involved in Champions League as well. And sure, they'll get fucking drilled by 10 goals to whomever they play, but at the very least, then they can say, ah, we have a way in. You should follow this league because your team or a team from America might beat Arsenal. Well, Arsenal will never make Champions League. Might beat <laughs> Manchester City, or they might beat um, they might beat Liverpool. And you could have that Atlanta United Liverpool matchup that would draw actual fans in America to pay attention. So, I've... and you know, it's soccer. There's a dollar <laughs> amount that will get this done. There is always a dollar <laughs> amount that will get this done in soccer. Yes, I, I. So I'm in favor of this. So they've. They've flirted with for a while revamping the Club World Cup. And I do think that is the ultimate solution here, which is is making that into a prestigious event, turning that into even in every four years, having each region send three or four teams, whatever makes the numbers. And then you do have a a real regular interest. Right now it's a glorified friendly with a weird ladder tournament that ultimately ends in the South American champion playing an incredibly bored European champion. I think that's the way forward is is revamping, reviving and and Absolutely. Get the MLS owners consortium to buy uh, FIFA's favor here and and revive the Club World Cup into something that matters. I'll have you know, Chelsea won the Club World Cup, so it absolutely matters. It's a prestigious trophy, yes. (laughs) it's, it's, It's the most prestigious, the best, the greatest. Oh, (laughs) Many people are saying it's the true trophy. I wish, I really wish there was a point where we could all, everybody around the world could recognize that there was the best team in the world that year. And it is frustrating that that is, uh, as unable. But isn't this kind of like, isn't this kind of like your hellscape where instead of nation states being the be all and end all of everything, it's little corporations that are now competing at the highest level. Uh, let's be real. It's still nation states competing. Just, you know, Qatar is fronted by <laughs> Paris and Saudi Arabia is fronted by Newcastle, you know, <laughs> choose your champions. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, gentlemen, I think that's it for us. Uh, are there any final thoughts, parting words here before we wrap this up? Are we going to make it two in a row? Will we win this weekend? The schedule's set up nice. Uh, We've got three of the worst teams in the East back to back to back. I mean, it's amazing. This team, the last two years, has only won four games. They could, they could, they have a very realistic path to matching that in week. What are we at? Six. I feel like now we're getting carried away right now. Hey, Brandon Vasquez <laughs> for the national team, and we're going to have four wins in six weeks. Let's go! Let's go!